recording. Okay. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to uh, another edition of the Ronin Leadership Podcast. Uh, we're uh, on a Friday, Friday morning, uh, a busy Friday morning at the Howard household. Uh, if you hear various uh, noises in the background, my editors hopefully will be able to drown those out. We've got a we have a new puppy that will probably bark every so often. We have workers doing stuff around the house. Um, you know me; I'm a stickler for uh, planning, but I didn't I didn't plan it this well in terms of everybody coming to the house at the same time. But it keeps it real. Um, thank you for all the feedback on previous podcasts, and uh, we've gotten some good in, uh, input from all of you regarding um, things you like to see in, in uh, future podcasts and. So keep the feedback coming. Um, obviously, uh, please tell your friends about uh, uh, a book that uh, I've written, The Art of Ronin Leadership. Um, and I thank you for those of you who give me feedback on that. If you're so inclined uh, and, you, and you like the book, uh, please leave a, leave a comment on Amazon and, um, and, and certainly hit the subscribe button on the uh, on, on this on this podcast get that out of the way because there's more important things to do than talk about my book and the podcast i'm really pleased to um to have on this podcast a, a, a dear friend someone i've known for a long time but we haven't seen each other in a long time cynthia hetherington um i, I can't remember the last time we actually saw each other in person uh, the first time i saw cynthia was at an isma meeting years ago when she was presenting and i was a newbie CSO and thinking I'm never going to be able to get on stage like that, you know, and do what she does. But Cynthia uh, um, is, 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 is a true leader in our industry. And I'm going to let her I'm going to introduce you and then uh, ask you some questions. But Cynthia, first of all, welcome uh, to our podcast. Mike, thank you very much. I'm very excited to, to participate in this and, and to meet your listeners. All right. Thank you. Um, first of all, I know you very well, and obviously there's a fair amount of folks that listen to this podcast that are in our industry, but we're obviously growing uh, the podcast to people outside of the security industry. So why don't you tell uh, our folks, we want to walk through your journey, right? So uh, how did you get to where you are? And then tell us, tell us maybe what you do for a living, but you know, what was your journey to get to where you are right now? Mike, it's it's a it's a funny story and it is a, an unusual one because actually at this stage of my life, I probably should be retired living in a subdivision in Florida playing golf. Um, <laughs> I I started off like nobody else has started off. I was a public librarian. Wow. Yeah, it's just a good old reference librarian. Um, but in the good side of it, I was Google because Google didn't exist when I was handing out books on Marco Polo and right. And, um, you know, encyclopedia sets. Were you doing the Dewey Decimal System back then? Oh, absolutely. You could throw any any number at me today and I'd still be able to go to the stacks and get it for you. I love it. But the the fun thing was, is that because the internet in the very early 90s was starting to blossom, librarians really adapted to it very quickly because we identified that there were resources that we didn't have within our four walls. So we, uh, librarians tend to have an, a non-siloed mindset. Mm-hmm. We believe in sharing. We're huge information sharers, obviously. So we started teaching each other how to use command line and Unix operating systems to get to Gopher, Veronica, and Jughead. 
And then, well, you know, it was so fantastic. As soon as the local law enforcement community and private detectives understood what kind of resources we had, they would file in and ask reference librarians questions. And I thought, hey, what you guys are doing is a little bit more interesting than what I'm doing. And I, I like to say I slowly transitioned into the private detective industry where I sit today, but I actually came in kicking and screaming. Yeah, wow. All the different federal agencies were just propping up cyber detective work. So the U.S. Secret Service just put together their first task force. Um, FBI didn't even have the CART teams up yet. Uh, but just it was a handful, mostly driven by California detective agencies in that Silicon Valley or Microsoft area world. Um, certainly, you know, the San Jose area. And I would get just requests to come out and teach library skills to detectives. And I just eventually realized that there was a business model behind it. So 25 years later, I'm, um, I'm operator, owner, and founder of the Hetherington Group. We have 30 investigators. We do basically private intelligence work for our customers, okay. we do background investigations and global, you know, compliance checks for a lot of the firms out there that need the help. Wow. That's amazing. You know, everybody has a different path. Um, and you know, when you were a librarian, you obviously had no idea your career was going to take this tra trajectory, right? None I mean, whatsoever. <laughs> That's, 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 that's pretty amazing. Um, the, uh, um, so your footprint is global, correct? It, it is global. Mm -hmm. Our clients span the earth. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, I've got some questions for you, but you know, as we start talking, we can certainly ad lib along the way. Right. Sure. Um, I guess the first one is, um, the, we're, we're, we're in a time of massive change, societal change, generational change. Um, just there's, we have gone through the pandemic, which is a huge change in how we live our lives, et cetera. There's also, I think, a, a, a change in leadership styles and things like that. And you and I talked about that before we sort of got online. And maybe we could kind of noodle on that a little bit later. But uh, can you give us a, a time when, when you adapted to a big change at work? Uh, and how did you uh, adjust to a new environment? I think people would like to hear that from you. Uh, you know what? Uh, there's nothing like, and it does come from my history of being a librarian. Customer service is very much our, our style. Uh, but coming from the library world versus coming from the security world, we're a little bit more of a tender touch and tender touch. So what I realized right away is that every time I would come into a room, I'm not the retired so-and-so with all the accolades and all the, 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 you know, avant-garde reputation they bring in. You know, I had to really always, um, you know, hunt and, and kill what I needed to put on the table that night. So, so mm -hmm. being nimble, uh, both in your, your approach and your leadership is incredibly important. And one of the biggest events before, these past two years, which I think we're all still self-evaluating, was 9-11. My company was just starting off at the time, and we were doing a lot of uh, very specialized research work and very, very much a lot of undercover type research and investigations. And then 9-11 occurred, and I saw 
frankly speaking, opportunity to grow my company into an area where there was more background screening, more overt work. People wanted, yeah. you know, companies wanted their public to see like, no, we, we're about there. We're in front of this. We're not, you know, you can come into our stores, you could come into our cafes and we're doing this. So uh, the nice thing, and this is what I always tell my clients, we're, we're not a Titanic. We're not such a large organization where it takes 500 people to make a decision to finally get, they go. Right. We're like a skiff. We just change direction. We could, you know, rip up our marketing sheets and rebuild them for the client. Everything we do is so boutique that we, we handle our work in that fashion. And it, it's worked really well. Every time, unfortunately, something catastrophic happens in the world that makes yeah. the opportunity for the security industry. Yeah. And, and, and you should always, I think the one thing though, is you do need a, a, a moral compass in that change that you don't just reach into something that's so obviously advantageous, you know, profitable. You have to stop and say, how does this better everyone? You mm-hmm. know, how does this provide for my client? How does this, you know, can I put my head on the pillow at night? Um, is this the thing I need to do? Because in my world where we do open source intelligence, most of the law hasn't been written yet. And uh, yeah. the opportunity is quite frankly there. So, you know, we always have to really, you know, be nimble, have a good ethical byline and just look for those opportunities. Yeah, no, that, that's, that, that's very important. And you're right in our business. It's, it's, it is, it's a double-edged sword you never want bad things to happen, but obviously when, you know, we wouldn't be in existence if there weren't things to triage. Right. And that's just kind of the nature of the beast. Yeah. Uh, you, <clears throat> towards the end, you were you were talking about, you know, not taking advantage of your, your your clients and stepping back and making sure this passes the smell test or putting your head on the pillow, being able to sleep, which goes kind of right into the next question about uh, core values, uh, which it's interesting in the world of leadership. You read a lot of leadership books and they, they tell you uh, maybe how to or this is what a leader looks like, but. Value is obviously very important because uh, you can be in a leadership position and have values that suck, basically, right? That's gone. So what are your core values that you have and that you like to impart to your team um, to make sure that you, you, you have that even keel going forward? It's, this is a great question because I just reevaluated this. And one of the youngest junior analysts uh, that I just hired was the gal who asked me this question. So it's so great because, you know, here's the legend, Mike Howard asking me, what's my core values. And yet also here's some young gal who just got out of college and is starting her first job. And she asked me the same question. So that bandwidth right there should tell you something right away. Values are something that are so incredibly important. And I think in the last few decades, we may have lost sight of Mm -hmm. because, you know, we're an economy that prospers on capitalism and, you know, we enjoy what our, you know, our valuables have. So I stopped when she said, what is your value system? And I said, you know, this is, it's kind of comical, but it's very true. I said, my number one value is my staff. Nice. My staff needs to be healthy. They need to be sound of mind. They need to be challenged and they need to grow, you know? So that's my key thing. My second value is my client. My client absolutely has to be satisfied with the work that we're producing, uh, be responsive to what we're putting in front of them. 
And, you know, it's, it's a quid pro quo, you know, don't waste my time. I won't waste your money. Yeah. And then the third thing, and I love that you have the puppy is if the dogs aren't happy, nobody's happy. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's in my value statement. We have mission statements. We have core ethic guidelines on our website, but this is what I told all of my new employees that I just hired. I said, you, the clients and the dogs, because ideally your dogs are the canary in the coal mine. Yeah. Right. Right. They pick up on anxiety levels. They pick up on all sorts of uh, attitudes. You know, if you forget to walk them there, you know, it's because you're neglecting them, which means you're neglecting yourself. Right. And that's, you know, why do we work? We don't work to put more money in our pockets. We work so that we can make better lives for ourselves and our family. And frankly, my dogs are my family. So, yeah, that is so spot on. I just, just got me to thinking just now about, you know, if I get upset at the puppy, it, it's not the puppy's fault. You know, it's, it's, look, I've, you've just taught me something. So thank you. Uh, I love it. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and what strikes me is that, you know, um, you're the essence of, you know, like in the book, talk about being selfless. You mentioned the team first. Uh, I did a speech at the Rotary Club downtown yesterday and, you know, that's a common theme. And I noticed that the first thing you talked about was team, make sure they're healthy, happy. If they're not healthy, happy, they can't execute. And then your client. And then that's awesome. Thank I uh, uh, I think I think it's very important. I think that's something that um, um, leaders need to, especially in, in today's world where there's so many pressures. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of really glad I'm not CSO anymore. I, I miss aspects of it. Um, but uh, the pressures on all of you who are leaders right now are, are ginormous. So I'll give you your kudos. Um, so going back to the theme of your troops, your team, um, obviously the, you mentioned 9-11. And I'm sure the recession in 2008 was a blip that affected you and your team as well. And then, you know, we've got uh, just all kinds of things and now the pandemic. So what are strategies you employ to keep your teams motivated, especially, you know, you're, you've got a global team. Um, I don't know how you're configured, but whether you had a primary headquarters office or pre-pandemic used to go to, you see everybody every day like we did at Microsoft. But how, how do you keep, uh, what are strategies uh, that you can impart to others on how you keep the team motivated during this time of hybrid or remote, you know, work? This is, this is like the great question, and I don't profess to have this solved, but in my motivation to get everybody um, focused on what we want to do, uh, they, just had a, they just had a cocktail hour call last night, the whole team gathered, because I do, my team is, uh, I have an office location, but then I have remote workers. Actually, mm -hmm. pandemic really proved the point that open source intelligence analysts can work from anywhere. I mean, so long as you have the proper software, you, I work out of airports, you know, and, and right. stuff done, but the, um, the, so my staff are just, I I'm able to find the best staff because they mm. can, I got one kid in Cape Cod. I got one in Illinois. I got one down in Nashville and wow. then we bring them in to the office just to have like outings and fun stuff. We, we do the typical, like we go bowling, we have zoom cocktail hours, but they really thrive. You have to, 
frankly, you, it's not me. I got to see what they do because we're also two different age groups here. (laughs) Me throwing on some, uh, you know, 1980s dance music is just not going to motivate them. So, you know, I, I ask them and I, I hired people who have the kind of that upbeat personality to start with. And then I just say like, what do you want to do? I mean, there are times when you throw money at the problem and you say like, let's buy everybody bigger monitors, you know? And then there are times when you say, um, all right, you, and, and I do, this is really important now because of the zoom calls, you don't have that human interaction. So I stare at their faces on zoom calls and I could see them depreciating when they're getting wiped out. Okay. Yeah. And, and I know I called one employee who moved on to another company three months before then I told her manager, I said, she's not doing so good. I could see it. I mean, it's just, maybe it's a maternal instinct in me, you know, maybe it's just obvious, but I was like, her eyes are half lidded. Her face huh. looks like it's drawn down. So uh, what I would do, honestly, it's just that care again. I just, I pick up the phone and call her after I'm like, Hey, what's going on? Is everything okay? And give them an opportunity to talk to me. Well, yeah, no, I, 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 well, I'm not surprised that you picked up that you're a trained investigator, great leader. You can pick up on those things. I also love the, uh, the Zoom uh, cocktail hours. You know, I think that's a cool idea. Uh, those of you listening, if you're, if you have remote, if you're a leader and you have remote folks, you know, try something like that because I'm sure people just get a kick out of it sitting there and then you feel like you're, back together again, which is nice. Um, I, I, I do take exception to your team not wanting the, the 80s music. I think Earth, Wind & Fire and all oh, those are wonderful, right? <laughs> <laughs> but we are dating ourselves, yes. You know, I can see people saying, Who, who's Earth, Wind & Fire? <laughs> I, I dropped I dropped something the other day where I, I like a lyric from a song and I thought I was so cool and everyone just kind of looked at me funny and I was like, know, right? never mind. <laughs> I'm going to go back into my original Air Jordans and have my moment. <laughs> I know, right, right. The, uh, the, um, one of the things that in, in the world of leadership, you know, that uh, we're pretty good about talking about things that work and uh, successful strategies. But I think, yeah, I think you would agree. I think people tend to learn as much from mistakes as they do successes. And uh, if you're willing to share, is there a, uh, was there ever a time when you, um, you, you made some type of mistake and, and, um, and, and you, you did something to rectify it and, and maybe it was a teaching point to you in your growth? As a leader, well, what you mean, like just a mistake today? Because like we could we could be here for four hours. No, I mean you haven't made a mistake in ten years, but maybe go back eleven years. You know, like when you made that last mistake eleven years ago. No, I, I don't, I don't know if I'd call it necessarily a mistake, but I had an errant judgment in one of my hires, senior leadership hire. I overestimated the amount of hands-on adaptability in the work that he does, and I thought oh, well, you know, he was the leader in his last institution. He'll be able to just roll in and take this over. And we are all hands-on investigators here still. Like I still actively work cases. And uh, he was not ready to do that. And, you know, I kind of cut him at the knees. And and I think a lot of the CSOs would recognize this. Many of you retire from federal agencies where you are already in senior leadership. 
managing could be up to hundreds or thousands of employees. And then you roll into these big companies and you're the CSO there and no one's asking you to get a weather report or anything. And so you're kind of hands off for a decade and your technology skills aren't as sharp. And I was like, that was my mistake in judgment, thinking that that was going to happen. Right. So um, I still saw the value in the individual and the strengths of where, what he brought to his staff and his people and how much they appreciated him. And my statement was, if I have to put you on my shoulders and carry you into the next year, I will do this. We will get you there. I, I'm going to have to work harder so that you succeed. But the, the thing for me is in my vulnerability as a leader is I sometimes see too much good in people yeah. or I'll, I'll hold on to an employee. Maybe I should have cut loose, you know, ages ago. And then yeah. finally, you know, it's finally so obvious you got to do it. So um, this one, it, it turned out to be a success story because that's all I needed was the time training and patience. Okay. But yeah, you know, a lot of younger uh, or more junior analysts that were here ha- or here and gone have, you know, I could have gotten that clue maybe a month in and not three months in. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I think you and I have the same DNA. You know, I always had that tendency too, um, because you, you're always hopeful that you can save somebody, right? And yeah. uh, you know, and it, you, you can't, but you, you, I, I believe you have to, like you did. You have to try. Um, which I'm going off the rails just a little bit. Something that you and I talked about before. Uh, I've got one other final question, but after that, but we talked about our changing leadership styles. And uh, could you elaborate on that? We, you and I came into a certain era of leadership, and now it's morphed. And, and talk about maybe how you've how you've transitioned your own leadership style. Oh uh, well, I didn't actually. I can't say. I did not have a leadership style. Interesting enough, you were at Rotary yesterday, and I am actually one of the Pioneer uh, Rotary Leadership Award recipients. Oh, okay. Circa 1980-something. When (laughs) I started that, I was one of the first recipients. I've always, uh, I, it's strange, I've always known I'm a leader. Hmm. I'm a terrible manager, but I'm a wonderful leader. So that's okay. That's okay. And that, and that that's where my struggle is because it's you know checking the time clock and you know making sure the the logistics are. So when I started out, I you know I joke that I uh, I thrive on caffeine and the tears of my staff because I just <laughs> go around and box them around the ears until they get it until they right. get it straight. But um, after a while, you know, hammering at someone you know doesn't work. And I think Pat Riley was someone who really exemplify this. And it may be a little old fashioned or sexist when he said, when I coached the, the basketball coach, Pat Riley, when I coached women, they already came in with a defeated attitude. You had to build them up. And when I coached men, they walked in like they were all, you know, LeBron James, they were amazing. And I needed to kind of put them back in their place. That women, Venus, Mars thing. But I said, you know what? It's not based on the sex of the person it's based on the person and i have identified people i need to build up and people i need to peg down mm-hmm. so it's really it's always a self-assessment with that individual and what you're going to do and where you're going to get them across the line so i've i've calmed down a lot as far as creating opportunities for staff and getting them over the hill but right. i also have to be an industry leader and in the space that i'm in right now there's a it's a I feel it's a fierce competition of a lot of real talented other colleagues out there. And I've never said, 
it's a competition, but it's a cooperation because there's plenty of food for everybody. Sure. So I believe in the reach out method. Like, let me reach out and just email this person and find out something about them. You know, like one gal was very intimidated by me once and sent me a very nasty email about hmm. a class I was teaching because it just it had the same title or, it would, you know, we crossed channels. And hmm. instead I took a sit back because I could have been angry about that. And I said, you know, old Cynthia would have been like, I will burn <laughs> you up. And yeah. I, I took a step back and I really thought about it. And I wrote her an email and I said, how's your son doing? Because the last time we talked before we got into this blazing argument was we were talking about family and everything else. And, and by the way, I do see your teaching this. And you know what? My class is already set. But when I'm in the middle of it, I'm going to promote your class. Wow. It, it's the librarian's approach. Yeah, because right. Because the librarian's all about information sharing. And, and God bless, that's helped me for 30 years. I have never had a contentious issue beyond a couple flare-ups like that. And that's, I mean, it's brought me all the way up to the highest level of government agencies and organizations that I really, as a librarian turned security hack, have no business being in. But I think it's the approach and the, the leadership personality that I, I use to open doors, to settle, settle arguments, um, and to not bring drama to the table. That is an awesome um, example. Um, <clears throat> and it, it shows your growth as a leader and as a person, you know, not wanting to chop the person off at the knees, getting defensive, but figuring out a way, you know, as also as investigators to to build bridges, you know, as to how, uh, but that, that was, that's awesome. That's a great takeaway for all of you listening in terms of um, what, what's your end goal? Is it just to try to prove a point or is it actually try to figure out the way to bridge the differences and then you both, Everybody's happy. Everybody gets to their mutual goals. So that's that's an excellent teaching point. Uh, and thanks for sharing that. The uh, I guess the last question is: We're you know, who knows what the future is going to bring, right? Uh, there, there obviously there'll be more chaos in the world. Uh, there'll be more things happening down down the range that you know. Hopefully, we can anticipate some things and some things we can't. How are you readying your organization? You know, you do cyber, you do investigations, due diligence. I mean, you're into a, a lot of different things, you and your team. How are you empowering or, or readying your organization for whatever challenges are lying ahead? This, this is a really great question, Mike, and it's, it gives me an opportunity to share something that we have for all your listeners. So what I've been getting asked for from the other CSOs out in the field and where I'm most comfortable is in thought leadership. Okay. So because of the open source intelligence community or basically internet research, whatever title we want to put on it has been my bailiwick for 30 years. I mean, I, I share emails with Tim Berners-Lee, you know, it's like, right. this. I am not new to this. So I'm using my, we call it OSINT for good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and we're creating, we're creating a knowledge center, like a library where a lot of the collated information in open source intelligence can be gathered and understood, studied in a safe environment and battle tested so that both corporations and individuals can learn and thrive here. And the real fun first step of that is, is something I'd like to share with you called the OSIN Academy. Okay. It's osinacademy.com. This is an NSA Center of Academic Excellence program 
um, sponsored obviously by the NSA through Dakota State University, where we are offering free open source intelligence training to transitioning military and law enforcement. Wow. I should say that's the initial audience. It's not only them, sure. but the, every, every two months we select 20 more students and, and I'm a university professor at the university of Arizona. So it's the same class that I'm offering there, but to anybody, I, I have one gal who just signed up. She's like, my, I was a military wife for so many years and my life has gone in a different direction. And now I need to rebuild up myself so I could support myself and my children. I'm like, mm-hmm. you're in the class, you know, and yeah, I've got, yeah. I've got cops from all over the country taking it. We just ran our first class. It was really successful. It's, it's 10 weeks of training. It's, you know, you got to get your, you know, your, your learning caps back on, but it's free, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's primary education. And we're just going to keep adding to this. We're going to keep growing this in different directions. And we're looking for organizations that want to become part of a sponsorship so that the transitioning, especially military and law enforcement professionals don't have to pay out of pocket for this type of masterclass. And then the real cool thing, oh, it's amazing. But you know why? Because the NSA and, you know, national director of intelligence and everybody else up at the top there said, we don't have enough staff in the mm. United States to do this work. So I right. stepped up, gave them an outline, got the learning platform up there and, you know, we're off to the races. So real excited for that. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's great. You know, uh, you know, back in my day in the agency, open source was not even talked about. And obviously we know that the preponderance of information out there is open source nowadays, right? And how do you mine it, glean it, use it, and, and execute on it, and um, and that's great that you're doing it free. What what's the uh, what's the uh, uh, what's what website again? It's called OsintAcademy.com. Okay, OsintAcademy.com. Uh, those of you who are interested, just make sure you, you go on the website and take advantage of this. This is a golden opportunity if you're interested in, in this particular uh, field. And, and thanks for for starting that. You and your team. Uh, for doing that. Well, we're um, real excited about it. Thank you for letting me mention that, Mike. Sure, sure. Um, this has been fascinating. I've learned something, especially about uh, now when I finish this, uh, I make sure that when Kiku, my puppy, barks, I'll be thinking about you and <laughs> and my reaction to her to make sure that I'm being more emotionally intelligent when I'm dealing with her. Um, but uh, um, I really, I've enjoyed... Uh, talking to you, you, you're an exceptional leader. You, you you characterize everything that I think real leaders are about, uh, whether it's, you know, the strategic piece and the execution piece, which obviously you've nailed, but, you know, how to deal with people, how to deal with your teams, how to deal with anger situations, how to deal with uncertainty, all those things. And I think your team, uh, they're very blessed and uh, to have you uh, at the helm of, 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 of your company. Um, and I know you're very busy. You've got a lot of irons in the fire. So for you just taking out a little bit of your day to, uh, to spend time with me and my, my little podcast here, I really, uh, I really appreciate you, you doing that, Cynthia. Well, the, it's a privilege. And no, we haven't seen each other in a long time, but just, uh, you know, the world of social media, we're always, we're able to stay connected. So this was a lot of fun for me. And I appreciate, um, 
being recognized, but also having an opportunity to, to share just, you know, what I learned along my, along my journey. And you said that my team is blessed, but I personally think that I'm the one who is blessed by having them. So amen to that. You know, it's, it's, it's good. Like I say, if the puppies aren't happy, nobody's happy. (laughs) Remember that that's a leadership point. I might, I might actually steal that. uh, You're welcome to it. Next book. Okay. So puppies aren't happy. Nobody's happy. Um, And with that, thank you, uh, Cynthia. um, And uh, for, for being our guest and uh, please stay safe and, and, and uh, hope you enjoy your weekend. Um, so that's it for this, uh, this edition of the Ronin Leadership Podcast. Please check out uh, everything Cynthia talked about. Uh, look her up on LinkedIn. Certainly, if you need to avail yourself of her services, um, she's the best in the business. And her team, uh, her team and her and her team uh, really rock. And uh, they'll be able to take care of you for whatever the problems are that you have in her particular field of endeavor. Um, again, if you like this podcast, hit the subscribe button on the screen. Um, you can find uh, my book at uh, MikeHowardAuthor.com. It's also on, on Amazon, so I encourage you to, to get a copy. I'm also working on an audio version right now. That takes a little longer, but we'll get there. So until next time, have a, 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 a great weekend, and uh, we'll see you next time on the next edition of the Rona Leadership Podcast.